This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoisty Kellers podcast. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of the podcast. I'm joined, as always, by our regular co-host, closer, soon-to-be graduate. I say it every week, but he's on the cusp. Jonathan Wagner, heading into his final home series as a student. I guess at this point you'll be graduated come the, uh, I think, in the midst of the first game. Well, I actually graduated at 9 a.m., so by the time ECU first pitch happens on Friday, I will be an ECU alum. So are you guys walking across the stage this year? Uh, due to, or due to COVID protocols, or is that on the shelf? What's the deal with that? No, unfortunately not. Since it's, they're doing the university ceremonies, so we're going to have like thousands of students walk, graduating at the same time. So we'll all just be sitting on the field in Dowdy-Ficklin, and I think they'll recognize each individual college. And But unfortunately, we won't be walking across the stage, which kind of sucks, but it's kind of expected. So that's all right. I'm looking at the forecast for Friday. 72 degrees oh is the high, low of 52. So actually, you, you caught a break. It won't be like 95 degrees while you guys are in there on Friday. As long as it doesn't rain, that too, I'll be okay. It looks pretty clear, so hopefully it stays that way. Hopefully it stays that way for this weekend's upcoming series versus Tulane. We'll talk about that a lot, Jonathan, towards the end of the show. We're here, as always, to talk about East Carolina baseball. We're wrapping up the previous series. Another 2-2 split for the Pirates as they alternate wins and losses once again with Wichita State. They have now alternated wins and losses for the past eight games. And we'll talk more about the kind of inconsistency uh, for ECU, especially on the mound here lately. Uh, As always, we're going to go game by game, kind of do a a recap of each game. Um, forewarning, we were only able to watch the first game of the weekend due to uh, Wichita's inability to broadcast slash stream games in the year of 2021. I mean, come on, Wichita, what the hell are we doing? Okay, first off, before we get into this, their Twitter account was tweeting out highlights, like pretty good video of the game on Saturday and Sunday, but they can't put a damn stream up. I mean, what the hell? Pisses me it's off. embarrassing. You have a quality baseball program. It doesn't even matter who's coming into play. I don't care if it's ECU, a top 10 team, or if it's some nobody school in the middle of nowhere. If you're a quality baseball team like Wichita State, I feel like you should be able to have at least even just put a computer behind home plate, have it be the crappy one angle video. I don't care. Let me watch some baseball. We're in 2021 where people can't go to games. Let us watch a game on TV. If Elon can do it with a crooked camera with no announcers <laughs> that's legitimately just attached to the fence behind home plate and freaking Wichita State with the Koch brothers and all their millions of dollars should be able to do it I mean come on guys what are we doing 
And you're talking about a program that's been to the College World Series, uh, has great facilities, uh, pretty inexcusable in my opinion. I can understand maybe one game not being broadcasted, but for it to be the majority of the series, it's just ridiculous. All right, let's move on before I get too pissed off, Jonathan. Uh, (laughs) Let's start with game number one. This was the game we did get to see, the first game of Friday's doubleheader, and it was a fun one to watch if you're a Pirate fan. The Pirates uh, emerged victorious in the series opener. They have not lost a series opener all season long, and they, uh, again, do this with Gavin Williams on the mound. 6-0 and in six starts, and we're almost taking it for granted at this point how dominant he has been. Six innings pitched, five hits, two walks, nine Ks, 102 pitches thrown. Gavin on the season now, 6-0 and with a 1.03 ERA. He has struck out 70 batters in 43 and two-thirds innings, 14 walks. Opponents are hitting a solid 167 against him. Gavin Williams, Jonathan, is... We'll get into the inconsistency on the mound for this entire team, but he has been the horse that we thought he could be if he if he stayed healthy, and, and thus far he's proven he can do it. Yeah, I think we talked coming into the season that ECU was in a decent enough spot to where they could contend throughout the season without him, with his health since it was in question in the beginning of the year and obviously throughout his career. But we also said that if ECU wants to make a deep run, then Gavin Williams is the guy you have to do that through. You need a guy who can come out on every Friday night and pretty much guarantee you a win, and that's what he's done so far. And for whatever reason, it seems like the offense lately has just really come out and hit hit strong in games where he's pitched too. But he's dominant. We say it every week, but his fastball is obviously overpowering, whether he's throwing at 95 to 96 like he's been sitting this year or if he's coming out and throwing 97 plus. It's hard to square up. His off-speed ball, his slider, curveball, changeup, all of it is really four pitches now. And, again, that's one of the things that I'm really glad he's developed. And I think he has a lot of confidence in all those pitches. And it's it's tough to prepare for a guy like that when you have a power fastball and decent off-speed pitches you can get swings and misses on too. Yeah, this level, his fastball alone is too much for a lot of guys. And when you start mixing in the quality of the breaking stuff he has, he's going to be next to unhittable. You know, teams will get base runners on every now and then, but it's usually via a walk or just kind of a single. It's very hard to string stuff together against Gavin Williams. And if there's one area you'd like to see him maybe improve upon, it's with the pitch count efficiency. You know, at times he's only been able to go 5-6 because he does run a lot of full counts, he gets a number of foul balls because of just his sheer velocity uh, and the the fastball usage. So if he could hone in on his command, especially in the early innings, it seems like he gets better in the fourth, fifth, and sixth. If he can keep his pitch count down in the early innings, I think he could be a guy that starts to go seven, eight instead of five, six. But either way, I mean, you take it. If you, if you can get six shutout innings this day and age in baseball with the way kind of the bullpen has, has gone from – both the majors and the college baseball to be such a big priority of the game, uh, you'll take it every day. So Gavin with another tremendous outing. And you mentioned that the offense really came alive early in this. I thought they had one of their better offensive approaches of the year against Preston Snavely, I think is how you pronounce it, the Wichita State senior starter. Uh, Really a guy who knows how to pitch. And they attacked him early. Connor Norby um, and Thomas Francisco both with two hits and uh, started that game off on the right foot. 
And then home runs in three consecutive innings by Bryson World, Thomas Francisco, and Zach Agnos to build a 5 nothing lead. And the Pirates were able to run rule them 10 to nothing in seven innings. So I thought, really, Jonathan, this was, this was one of ECU's better all-around games of the season. Yeah, I think so, too. And it was a consistent attack, really, one through nine pretty much every inning. There was only one inning in the seven inning or two innings, I guess, in the seven inning game that ECU didn't score. Like you said, got off to a good start in the first with a run. Worrell on the second with his homer and then Francisco and Agnos, who Agnos had a heck of a weekend. They came alive, scored three in the third, three more in the fourth, and then two in the sixth. It was a consistent approach. It was constant pressure on Wichita's pitching staff. Starter only went three innings and then they went to the bullpen. That guy went two innings, and I remember the the pitcher we were talking about, um, Peters, came in and pretty much threw eight balls straight to the backstop about a mile over Agnos's head. And, yeah, from there, you kind of had a feeling, you know, ECU might be able to get to 10 runs and end this game a little quicker than you normally would. So it was nice to see. It was nice to see a consistent approach. At the very least, they were putting balls in play. They weren't striking out. That, so – it was a really consistent game all around, and it's, it's nice to see guys, whether you're at the top of the order or the middle or the bottom, really putting together quality at-bats. And then we go to game two of the doubleheader. Really interesting split doubleheader. You know, when ECU's been playing at homes at home this year. When they're playing at homes this year, but not when they're, <laughs> play, when they're playing at home this year, um, East Carolina has gone 45 minutes between games. And then this one... They actually won the first game and then went back to the hotel because it was the afternoon night doubleheader, you know, chilled for about an hour or so, then came back to the the stadium. And um, that did not seem to have the best effect as we had the rare 10 game run or 10 run rule victory by ECU in game one. And then Wichita State wins by the same margin, 12 to 2 in game two. We'll talk about the bullpen collapse in a minute, Jonathan, uh, which, man, that inning, that seventh inning, it went from a tight game to a blowout in a matter of minutes, and it took forever for them to finish the inning. But I thought an encouraging start by Jake Kuchmaner. We'll start with the positive. You know, he gives up the two-run home run to Bartlett in the bottom of the first, and I think like 10 different people posted on Hoist the Colors, ah, here we go again. Uh, but Cooch really settled back in. Uh, three shutout innings after that. Pitched into or four shutout innings, pitched into the six, gave up a leadoff single, and then was pulled because Bartlett was coming back to the to the plate. Um, but I thought this was a a major step in the right direction for Cooch, uh, and, and the Pirates really needed him to to pitch pretty deep into the game. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, in the first inning, it was a one out single, and then the homer, obviously by Bartlett, that put him up two nothing. Like you said, a lot of people will think, "Oh, great, here we go again," but. Cooch came out and he gave up, I believe, three base runners over the the next four innings. Gave up one in, one walk in the second, a single in the third, a one, two, three, fourth, and then a runner reached on an error by Zach Agnos in the fifth. And it was a really quality start. And you never you, – you, we didn't know coming into the weekend who was going to start on Saturday, who was going to start on Sunday. So in my mind, that just made it that much more important for Cooch Mander to come out in this game and really pitch well, may hopefully give us some depth, just get into the ball game a little bit deeper than he's been able to in the past, because 
I mean, Wichita, their record might not show up, but they have some really quality players on that team. They have some quality pitchers, too, that if you let them, they will shut you down, as we saw later in the weekend. But for Kuzmino to come out and really pitch like that after really not a good performance last weekend, it was really encouraging to see, especially with – well, I'm sure we'll talk about him later, but Carson Wisenhunt, obviously, second weekend in a row, not in the rotation. This would obviously be his spot in the second game of the doubleheader. But Cooch Manor came out, gave a quality start, gave us some length, which I thought was really important. And hopefully he can build off of it and take some confidence into the next couple weekends. So Cooch Manor goes five, and then, man, I just look at this box score, and I'm, I'm just in amazement at ECU used five different pitchers in the, uh, the sixth and the seventh inning. Garrett Saylor only goes a third of an inning. Matt Bridges goes two-thirds of an inning. He was the one guy who pitched well, uh, really, on the weekend, um, or in this game, excuse me, as he gets the final two outs of the that inning to escape a jam. But Saylor gives up the two-run home run. Cooch Manor was charged with the loss because the go-ahead run was uh, his base runner off a single, which was unfortunate. And then the uh, they go to Cam Colmore, who's been extremely reliable all season, and Wichita State just hammered him, and then they hammered Nick Logish. I mean, the thing was, ECU really wasn't walking a ton of guys. Uh, they did, you know, Saylor did walk a batter, and Logish walked a batter, but it was almost like once Wichita got going, they just couldn't be stopped, and we saw that in this series finale as well. But I, I did some math. Heading into this series, Jonathan, at home, Wichita was averaging 7.9 runs per game as opposed to just four runs per game on the road. So clearly they feed off their their home crowd, their home stadium. Uh, we saw that in, in a big way against the, the, the Pirate bullpen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it was interesting, you know, in game one, you know, Landon Ginn pitched the final inning. So you were able to get out of that game without using your top arms, obviously. And then you come in, and I thought it was interesting going to Garrett Saylor first out of the pen in that spot, but – Saylor, he's been one of those guys, you know, he's either really lights out or he really struggles up there. And there's really no in between. And honestly, I think it alternates start um, appearance to appearance. So he came in, didn't have his best uh, face four batters, got one out, I believe. Matt Bridges came in and did well. Struck a batter out, didn't allow any base runners for him. Then Colmore came in, he didn't look good. And Logish gave up a walk, but Danny Bill came in, but I thought it was interesting. Again, no C.J. Mayhew. They used the other two guys out of the pen, but I think once it got out of hand a little bit, you know, they handed it over to Logish, and then Danny Bill came in. But it's one of those things, you know, the bullpen has, again, either been, as a whole, really hit or miss. You know, your top guys either have it or they don't, and then the rest of the guys are so maybe not ready yet, I would say, to pitch in these major situations, but they didn't happen in this game, but obviously I think some other guys stepped up and came and made different appearances later in the weekend and pitched better, which was encouraging to see. But this just wasn't the game for the bullpen. Danny Bill, the only pitcher to record an out in the seventh inning as Wichita scores uh, eight runs, and the out didn't come until the final run, which was on the sack fly. But, hey, at least Danny Bill did manage to record it out. If he would have gone eight an eight-run inning without recording to an out or an out. It was already a disaster, but that just would have been quite an embarrassment. So at least they got an out. Uh, on the flip side, Jace Kaminska, Wichita State's freshman standout, 
I thought ECU had a pretty good approach against him. Um, the the shame of this game was it was a two two game entering the sixth, and then it was only going to be four to two entering the seventh that the Pirates could have kept it right there. And Wichita would have had to have gone to probably its closer or its top setup guys in the eighth and ninth because Kaminska was over 100 pitches. Instead, Wichita then gets to save those guys, which would come into a factor on Sunday. So not only do you lose the game, but Wichita gets to save its arms. And in a four-game series, every little thing like that really adds up. So the Pirates uh, fall 12-2 to in game two. Let's move on to Saturday. And uh, again, this was a to-be-announced to starting uh, pitching duel by both coaches. But then they both go with kind of the expected guys. The Pirates turn to senior Tyler Smith. Wichita turns to very experienced uh, upperclassman Liam Eddy. And, man, ECU, for as lackadaisical as maybe they played on Friday night, they came out with a vengeance on Saturday. And I just remember the first two pitches of the game, Norby singles, Francisco doubles, and the Pirates just kept the pedal to the metal there. They score five in the first, build a 7 to nothing lead, uh, and then end up winning 11-3 in just a big offensive day. But, of course, Tyler Smith, the third straight good start for ECU on the mound. We talked about the inconsistent starting pitching last week, but th- the first three starters this weekend were good once they, or good for the first time in a while, all three of them, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler Smith, I think this was probably his best start of the season. Obviously, we couldn't watch it, so we don't know really how he looked. We can just – He sounded, know, he just sounded great. He sounded great. He sounded awesome. <laughs> but I think for Smith, too, you know, outside of – last weekend i think he's had really three quality starts when conference play has gotten underway and i think that's really nice to see i was glad he was able to bounce back from his obviously worst outing of the season last weekend but tyler smith came out and it looked like he pitched really well four strikeouts three hits one walk over six innings and he only threw 66 pitches so he got through six complete innings on 66 pitches that's really efficient and I think the run support early on really helped him. It was one five in the first and then another in the third, another in the fourth. So, again, it was consistent offensive attack throughout the game. Three more in the third. But Tyler Smith, he looked good. He made one bad pitch, solo home run in the top, in the bottom of the fifth. But other than that, he was really good. He gave exactly what ECU needed on the mound. And he was able to turn it over to the bullpen in the seventh and – I thought that Josh Gross looked like he pitched decently too, gave up a few hits, a couple runs. Then Mayhew and Danny Beal finish it off. Danny Beal making his second consecutive appearance. Oh, what, yeah, good what, old Danny Beal. Danny Beal, three batters faced, three batters retired. Uh, what what a weekend for Danny Beal, uh, the freshman, <laughs> as he goes two, two scoreless appearances, Jonathan, because he was the only man to record an out on Saturday in that uh disaster six innings so Danny Bill he's a strong contender for rookie of the week we'll see if he gets it at the end of the show uh Pirates uh win this one 11 to 3 and again they win Friday's game in dominant fashion the series opener and then this one I thought again was one of their more complete games of the year Norby with three hits Amac with the homer three hits Francisco with the homer two hits three ribbies Riley Johnson a home run late in the game, Zach Agnos, a home run. So uh, lots of good at-bats in this game, and um, we will talk uh, more about some of the standout offensive 
performances at the end of uh, the show. All right, on to Sunday. Jonathan, the series finale. And we knew that the Pirates would again have to start somebody besides Carson Wisenhunt. He was not on the trip. He missed the second consecutive weekend due to arm soreness. And after Garrett Saylor only pitched into the third inning last week, the Pirates go to Carter Spivey. And, uh, again, very similar situation to Saylor. Like Spivey, you watch him pitch, and he's got really good stuff. Tremendous movement on the fastball, 92 to 94. Good slider. And for whatever reason, he's just, it seems like he's locked in or it can fall apart quickly. And we were talking, (laughs) I think, during the first inning about how many innings we needed from Carter Spivey. Uh, (laughs) And you, Jonathan, said uh, it would be good to get him into the fifth. And I said, man, I'd take three. And I think five minutes later, he was pulled from the game after one out. And again, we're not laughing at Carter because he's out there trying his hardest. Like, if I went out there, I would suck and get bombed. But this just kind of speaks to the inconsistency right now of this uh, of the pitching staff. Like, Carter at times looks great. Unfortunately, he, he got a shot on Sunday. It did not look good. ECU grabbed a 2 nothing lead. And then Carter ends up getting the first out of the inning. And then uh, I think gave up a single, uh, walked a couple guys, another single, and then was pulled. And then... It looked like the Pirates were able to get out of the the first inning, and then C.J. Mayhew gave up a couple of two-out RBI singles as well, and that was kind of a backbreaker. ECU did rally, but they end up falling eleven to nine. And really, to me, that Jonathan, this was the first inning. You just it's hard to recover from a six spot in the first inning, just like ECU put a five spot on Wichita uh, a game prior. Yeah, I think going back to when ECU had their series canceled against Houston a couple weeks ago. And it came out that Carter Spivey was one of the guys who started on the mound when they scrimmaged in those two days over the weekend. You kind of figured, you know, maybe it was building up to this, trying to get him back into the rotation. He obviously started as a weekday guy this season, and blister and other issues have caused him to not really pitch a whole lot. I thought he's looked good out of the bullpen this year, so I was I was ready to see him on the mound today and. Like you said, he just didn't have it. He got hit around, walked a couple guys, and it was tough to see. And then C.J. Mayhew came in. I kind of thought C.J. Mayhew might get the nod on the mound today or on Sunday, but he came in on Saturday, got two strikeouts. But, you know, Mayhew came in, got hit hard. Then Matt Bridges came in. He got hit around a little bit. And Cam Colmore, I think, was the story of this game for ECU. Obviously, the big deficit early. And then ECU's offense, again, a consistent attack throughout the game. Two runs in the first, one in the fourth, two in the fifth, two in the sixth, two in the seventh. They clawed their way back into it. Cam Colmore really came in, and he was the first guy who really showed that he could get outs on the mound without giving up base runners consistently. He ends up going four and a third through a season-high 66 pitches, I believe, and three strikeouts, one walk, two hits, that's it. No runs. So Cam Colmore, I thought, was a big story from this game. And it was nice to see, again, I think for the second weekend in a row, Cam Colmore, his initial appearance on the weekend, just didn't have his best stuff, didn't look his best out there. But he talked about a post game. You know, he just looks as as an opportunity to pick someone up the next game. And he knows he puts that much more pressure on himself. He wants the ball. And he came out, and I think he made up for it. And then some, and he really kept ECU in position to win this game after it was not looking very good early. 
Yeah, man. He uh he turned in a heroic effort. There's no other way to put it. For for your one of your relievers to go sixty six pitches, four and a third, and against again we talked about it earlier with Wichita. Once they get going, they're tough to slow down. They have scored like double digit runs in a pretty large amount of games this year. Because uh, for whatever reason, once they get going, they seem to kind of feed off each other. And I thought this was a tough weekend for C.J. Mayhew in terms of matchup. You know, they have a predominantly right-handed hitting team. I think eight of their nine starters. So it wasn't a huge shock to me that he got hit around. I mean, C.J. is effective against righties, but he still is better left on left. And so I thought the number of righties probably got to him a little bit. Um, Ended up giving up a couple home runs. And so C.J. wasn't his best. And he still throws 61 pitches. So, I mean, he still battled and gave you a couple innings when you needed it. So, um, just a tough day and for the, for the the or tough couple of days for the pitching staff. On the mound for Wichita, they end up using basically their entire bullpen in terms of their top arms. And ECU was able to get to three of their setup guys, two runs apiece. And then Eric Wedge, their manager, uh, shout out to the Mariners, former uh, Mariners manager Eric Wedge. Um, he goes to Aaron Hase. I don't, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but anyways, their top closer entered the weekend leading the, the league in saves and the pirates were able to get a couple runners on, but he's just a guy that's not going to walk a lot of people, not going to give up a lot of hits. And he shuts it down, uh, gets a game ending double play from Seth Cadell to preserve the 11 and nine victory. So again, give a lot of credit to the offense. Unfortunately, this game was just lost in the first inning to me. And it's just tough to recover from that. So, Pirates split the series two to two. Jonathan, before we give away our pitcher, uh, pitcher hitter of the week, rookie of the week, let's talk about this pitching staff right now. A lot of questions on the board about kind of the inconsistency of it. Uh, I think it, a lot of it does go back to the absence of Carson Wisenhunt. When you take out your number two starter, who's usually good for you know, anywhere from four to six innings at least. And you have to bump a guy up from the bullpen. It just kind of makes everything shorter. But we heard a lot about the pitching staff depth going into the year. And for whatever reason, it just seems like there's been a lot of inconsistency with a number of guys. I mean, we have your, you have your Gavin Williams, you know, Colmore, Bridges, and Mayhew have been pretty reliable. But outside of that, at this point, I don't know if you can really go into a game and trust many of these guys to go out there and perform consistently just based on what we're seeing uh, over these last several weeks. Yeah. I mean, you said it, I mean, there's Gavin Williams. He's the guy, you know, he's going to give you a quality start pretty much no matter what day it is, no matter who you're playing, he's going to go out and he's going to pitch well. And Carson Wisman, I think it's important to remember even his last couple starts, you know, he got hit around a little bit too. And he wasn't able to give you as much depth. But like you said, even when he didn't have his best stuff, he was able to give you at least four innings. He was able to fight through it. And then we've talked a lot about Jake Kuchman or Tyler Smith. You know, they've either been hit or miss. But like I said earlier, Tyler Smith has been, I think, a quality starter outside of last weekend in conference play. Three out of his four starts have been quality. And, yeah, I mean, guys like Carter Spivey, Garrett Saylor, no matter who you – look to to fill that fourth starters role right now with Wisenhunt out nobody stepped up and really run with it and I think it's important to remember whenever Carson Wisenhunt does come back I don't expect him to you know go out and pitch six innings right away I think you're going to see a pitch count 
and I think he's going to be eased back into it. Arm soreness is not something you mess with, especially with a young pitcher who, for the first time in his career, is pitching consistently. So when, if whether it's next weekend, whether it's two weeks from now, I don't expect Carson Wisenhunt to really be able to give you five, six innings like that. Four innings is what your hope is. So, again, you're going to need those guys like the Carter Spiveys, the Garrett Sailors of the world to really step up because they're still going to need consistent efforts out of the bullpen and some length out of the bullpen. But as a whole, so somebody needs to step up. I think it was encouraging this weekend seeing Cooch Maynard and Smith pitch well. But now we just need to see him do it two weekends in a row and continue to do so for the rest of the year. Yeah, just uh, it's just been kind of a, a mixed bag lately with the pitching staff. And, um, you know, you look at the pitching staff's numbers as a whole, like the peripheral numbers are still pretty good. Like a Garrett Saylor to me, 26 strikeouts and in 20 innings, 211 batting average against. A lot of it for Garrett just comes down to executing pitches and throwing strikes. I mean, he's there, there's no reason for Garrett to be kind of as inconsistent as he's been. And uh, if he's on, he we've seen him be dominant. So, Hopefully he can figure it out. Uh, I, I do hear that Wisenhunt is feeling much better. You know, through last week, MRI came back uh, all good. So I assume there's a chance, pretty good chance, I would think that he's back this weekend. But like you said, it's not like he's going to go out there, start game two, and throw seven shutout innings. I mean, maybe he does start a game, but he'll probably be on a pitch count. So uh, the pitching staff's got to continue to step up. The offense right now, you know, some people have complained about the offense. To me, I know they've been inconsistent, but, I mean, you're still hitting 305 as a team and averaging seven runs a game. I mean, that those are well above average numbers. Um, I, you know, the offense, to me, has had a lot more good days at, at this point than bad days, so I think they're fine. The pitching staff, a little erratic here and there these last few weeks, and maybe it is as simple as getting Wiz and Hunt back. But um, it's just if ECU wants to get to where it wants to go – it's got to be more consistent on the mound. You just can't have your starters, like in previous weeks, only go three to four innings, and you can't have your bullpen kind of blow up like it did this weekend. So hopefully getting back home against Tulane, which is a re- really good hitting team, helps this coming weekend. Another thing I want to talk to you about, Jonathan, we saw ECU mount its comeback on Sunday uh, with Riley Johnson in the lineup. Uh, he pinched it for Ryder Giles. And we look, we love Ryder, great kid. Um, he struggled with the bat for much of this year. If you want to go to the offensive heavy lineup right now, you can do it with Agnos at short, Amac at third, and Riley Johnson in the lineup. And is that something Cliff Godwin maybe toys with down the stretch? Maybe if he knows there's a game that has a chance to be a higher scoring game, you go with that lineup over the more defensive lineup with uh, Ryder at short. Yeah, I think it's something at this point you have to at least start to toy with the idea of. And like you said, you know, I grew up playing with Ryder Giles, so I love the kid. I want to see him do well, but he's just not hitting well right now. And when you're getting into this part of the season for ECU, you, at some point you have to find that balance between, like you said, trying to balance the impressive defensive lineups against more offensive heavy. I think Zach Agnos is a fine shortstop. I think AMAC can hold his own at third. So, I'm not saying it. Obviously, Ryder Giles is going to play, but maybe you know one or two games in a weekend. You you try to give a different look. Just try some things out. You know, I think it was interesting seeing Seth Cadell in the last two games that he played in this weekend in the eight hole in the lineup. You know, he's he's a guy who struggled over the past couple of weeks, 
And I think he had a better weekend and just try some different things out, you know, whether it's Riley Johnson playing in the outfield or, you know, Ben Newton at DH and Francisco and left and Moreland at first, you know, just try some different things out because at this point, as the season goes on, you, you're going to need other guys to step up. And again, I want Ryder to succeed. And I think that eventually he's going to snap out of it and he's going to start hitting the ball well, but you know, at some point you have to try something new. And I think we're approaching that territory. So ECU 39 after this weekend's uh, conclusion where they split with Wichita State. Jonathan, let's give away our hitter of the week, our pitcher of the week, and our rookie of the week. We will start with our pitcher of the week. It is a familiar name. Gavin Williams is once again our pitcher of the week. He's 6-0 and in six starts, six shutout innings. I think he struck out nine or more batters in five consecutive starts. So Gavin Williams is again our pitcher of the week, although we have a, at least one strong honorable mention. Yeah, I think the honorable mention, like we said earlier, has to go to Tyler Smith. He also got his he got his second win in the win of the season on Saturday. Went six strong innings, four strikeouts, three hits, one walk, and just the one solo home run allowed. Tyler Smith gave you some length and I think outside of his first appearance, Cam Colmore, too, like we said, the dominant effort on Sunday really put an ECU in a position to win that game. But, yeah, Gavin Williams is the clear winner. But Tyler Smith was really – it was really encouraging to see him pitch like he did. And our hitter of the week, uh, this was a close one between two guys, in Zach Agnos and Thomas Francisco. And I, I believe we decided on Zach Agnos. Very similar numbers, but just the uh, the clutchness of the at-bats for Zach. The RBI total, he had eight RBIs on the weekend, a couple of home runs. Zach continues to swing the ball or swing the bat really good, Jonathan. It's great to see uh, him start to kind of hit the ball like we know he's capable of. Yeah, I believe that Corey Glore on the broad on the radio broadcast on Sunday said. That coming into Sunday's game, Zach Agnos was hitting 391 in conference play, which is really nice to see because he's another one of those guys who wasn't really hitting the ball that well early in the season. But he had a great weekend, 5 for 13, two home runs, eight RBI, two walks, and he reached on the hit by pitch. And Thomas Francisco had a good weekend too, also a pair of homers. He went 6 for 16, five runs batted in and a walk. And, yeah, I mean, Agnos – his power stroke has come on. I think he homered last weekend as well. And it's nice to see because he's one of those guys, you know, you can hit him pretty much anywhere in the lineup. You can put him in a two hole like he did early in the year. And I think he's going to be fine. He's going to get on base. You can put him in the cleanup hole. He's hit there some this week, the five hole, the six hole, seven hole, anywhere. Zach Agnos, no matter where you put him, whether he's hitting RBI doubles, like it seems like he does just about every game now, or drawn walks. He's, I believe, third at this point in the conference in walks. Zag Agnos, it's been really encouraging to see his bat really develop over the course of the season. Yeah, now 31 walks on the season, and you know a lot of uh, Major League Baseball teams outside of batting average go by the stat OPS, on base plus slugging percentage, and that kind of speaks to the value of Zach Agnos. He's, he's batting 277, which is a lot higher than it was earlier this year, but He's hitting the ball for power, 10 doubles now, which is second on the team, four homers, and reaching base at a 420 clip for an 866 OPS, which is well above average. So 
Uh, he's been a guy that, you know, he took his walks early. Now his stroke's starting to come around, so it's good to see Zach Agnos kind of be that, um, you know, top or middle of the order guy that we know he can be. All right, our rookie of the week. Uh, we're going a little off the wall here. We are going with Danny <laughs> Bill. He uh, he made two appearances on the weekend, and he did not allow a run, and he recorded an out in the Friday game doubleheader. And um, that was good because it saved ECU from some embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, Danny Bill is one of those guys, I think, along with the likes of uh, Josh Gross. You know, he's a young freshman arm, true freshman arm, that have come in and they haven't pitched a whole lot this year, but when they've been given the opportunities, they've really pitched well. And Danny Bill, I think we said this was his second time this season that he's made multiple appearances on a weekend. So that was nice to see. Went one and a third, got a strikeout, only allowed one hit over his outing, and no walks, no runs. And he came in and he gave you a good inning, and he gave you – he gotten out in that game on Friday, like you said. So Danny Beal, he's someone I think he has the potential to step up into a back-end bullpen-type role in time. So it was nice to see him pitch well, and I really like his upside throughout even just the rest of the season, but also long-term over the next couple of years. Yeah, all those freshman pitchers have a chance to be good with the right development. All right, uh, let's wrap up this show, Jonathan. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick look at next week, uh, the series Tulane coming to town. The, the Green Wave is a game and a half up on ECU in first place uh, coming to Greenville. So the Pirates would have to win three of four over Tulane to reclaim first place. The Pirates, of course, are 24-3 and three at home, so they're going to be playing in the, the friendly confines. And it's still, you know, it's important to remember, folks, as much as people hate when ECU loses a baseball game and can be overreactionary, we're still talking about a team that's 30-9 and nine and hasn't lost a weekend series all year. So there are, there are a whole lot of teams that would love to be in ECU's position right now. I think if they go out and win this series this weekend, they're going to be in tremendous shape. Even if they split it, they're still going to make a regional. They would still be on the, the regional hosting bubble probably. But if they go out and win this series, I think they'll be in great shape. But when you talk about Tulane, you've got to talk about the projected Friday opening matchup. Gavin Williams against Braden Olthoff. Or Olthoff, I don't know how you pronounce his name. but uh, Braden H., one of the best pitchers in the American Conference uh, this season has a 2.56 ERA, 70 strikeouts to nine walks in 56 and a third innings. So you're talking about a guy who's going to pound the zone with four pitches, low 90s, tremendous command, and I imagine there will be almost as many scouts as fans in these stands on Friday. But I'm really looking forward to this series. I saw a couple quotes, Jonathan, from the Tulane players and the New Orleans newspaper about how why should this series be looked at as can Tulane take a game from ECU? We're looking at it as can ECU take a game from Tulane. And that's what I like to read because I, I want to see a motivated Pirates team and a motivated Tulane team doing battle this weekend. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I think Braden Oltoff, however you say his name, I think he's going to be a very high draft pick when it's all said and done. And I'm very excited to see the matchup between him and Gavin Williams, hopefully in game one. And I think it'll be interesting, too, because, you know, like we said, most Fridays when Gavin Williams pitches, you know, you can pretty much you pretty much have a good idea that he's used in a good position to walk away with a win in that game. That's not going to be the case this week. 
with him on the with Old Top on the mound, you know, it's going to be a real duel. And like you said, there's going to be a lot of scouts in town. And I don't know where I'm going to be at that time, but I will have a game on my phone or something because that is, I think that's as close as you can get to a must-watch pitching matchup at this point in the year. I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be one of those low-scoring two-to-one games. Now that I said that, it'll probably be like 11 to 10. But I'm excited for it. But I think it's going to be a really tight weekend. Even if ECU wins a series, I don't think they're going to run away with it and vice versa. If ECU loses a series, they're going to be close. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be tight. And it's the last home weekend series of the season. So I think the players are going to be fired up and the crowd is going to be fired up as well. Olthoff coming off a eight shutout inning 12K performance against Houston where he outdueled Robert Gasser, who's also one of the league's better pitchers. So uh, he's got experience in these type of games. I'm sure Gavin will be fired up. I would not be surprised to see him hit 98-99 in that first inning on Friday because uh, he'll know the scouts are there. Um, and But he's just got to be himself and he'll be fine. But we'll see how it goes. It should be a, a great weekend of baseball at Clark Lair Stadium. Looks like it'll be good weather as of now. So uh, big series for both teams. And what look to be the two best teams in the American, we'll see who emerges this weekend. All right, Jonathan, I appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy your graduation weekend, and we'll ruin it by having uh, to make you podcast next Monday. Monday. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's going to be a fun weekend. Like we said, I'm excited for a close matchup with Tulane, and I might be graduating, but whether I'm sitting on the grass and Daddy Ficklin or out to eat or taking pictures, I will be watching the game on my phone. I'll be there on Saturday covering the game for us, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun weekend, and I'm excited for it. For Jonathan Wagner, I am Stephen Igo. We appreciate everybody listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll be back with you early next week to break down East Carolina and Tulane. See you next time. afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 